The Impact Accelerator is a research and grant development office in the College of Education, Criminal Justice, Human Services, and Information Technology at the University of Cincinnati. The department was designed to assist faculty, staff, and students in applying for and receiving external funding dollars. Welcome to How to Get Funded Without Really Trying, where we put the fun in funding. I'm Krista, a graduate student within the Impact Accelerator. And I'm Claire. I oversee the Impact Accelerator. And today we'll be discussing storytelling with numbers. Research administration is full of data and numbers, but which ones help you tell the story of your department or unit? Which numbers can you use as evidence for hiring additional staff? Which ones can be useful for getting a promotion? How do you know if your research and innovation is headed in the right direction? In this episode, we'll take you through which data and metrics to use to tell the story of your department, examples of metrics to use in strategic planning, and what data you can track beyond your grant management system. Okay, so... First off, what we're going to do is to go over some vocabulary to kind of get us all on the same page. So for this podcast episode, let's just use some very basic definitions here. We're going to talk about measures, metrics, and key performance indicators, or KPIs. We love a good acronym in this industry. Uh, For the purpose of this podcast, let's just say all of those are the same thing, a standard for measuring or evaluating something. Uh, We're also going to use data point, which is a single piece of data, or if we say data, that means multiple pieces of data. For our outcome measures, let's think of those as after-the-fact data. How do we know something worked? Uh, An example might be, was the proposal awarded or percentage of proposals that were awarded? Process measures, collected during an event. An example would be length of time from notification to submission. We'll also use the term benchmarks. These are measures used when trying something new, typically between the first six or 12-ish months. I love a good ish when talking about data. How do you use data and metrics to tell your story? First off, you wanna think about what story are you trying to tell? Is it just the general story of your department, just kind of what you do, like we did in our first episode of um, the story of the Impact Accelerator, just kind of what we do, what our success rate has been over the past few years? Are you trying to tell a story to potentially get a promotion? Are you trying to say, I've been this successful over this amount of time, here are the actual raw numbers that you can see that my success rate has gone up? Or are you trying to get additional resources for your programming? We do that a lot here. We need a lot of extra resources in research administration and research development. Please give us all the resources. (laughs) Thanks. Every university, college, school, department, whatever title you go by is going to be different. So you may talk to someone who collects a certain type of data or metric, and that might not work for you. 
um, and that's completely okay. Someone might use process measures to tell their story, whereas someone else might use benchmarks. At this particular time, between X month and X month, we had this amount of growth. It's also okay to use a mix of all types of measures. That might also be helpful in telling a more rounded story of your department. Um, and then it's also useful to use qualitative and quantitative measures. We have actually been working with some faculty who are working on proposals, and one of the things that they use is a mixed method approach. They use both quantitative measures to say, here are the numbers of students who are making or hitting this goal, and then they also tell stories of students. So they have quotes that they include into their proposal to show that this programming is actually helpful for the students coming from the student's mouth. So using a mix of data can also be a useful tip to tell a more well-rounded story of your department, school, et cetera, et cetera. It's also an opportunity to pull those uh, glowing emails we get sometimes. I don't know about you, Krista, but I have a joy folder in my email where all of the nice things that anyone has ever said about me in email, there's a whole folder dedicated to those nice words. Those are great to pull out and quote if you're going for a promotion or you're trying to get some more resources. The numbers are great, but if you have someone with a very fancy title that says you did really well, those quotes, that qualitative information can also help tell the story you're trying to communicate. I need to do that. I, I love a good joy folder. I just take screenshots. No, you need to be able to copy and paste language, send that email to people. Fair. Source documentation. Fair. Fair. So building your story. Uh, what is your university, college, unit? What are you already tracking? I'm always the first one to say, let's not recreate the wheel here. Uh, let's not start a whole new tracking mechanism manually, keeping things on paper. I love a good paper tally. Uh, but if your university or college or unit department or even you, if you, you're already measuring something, preferably digitally without paper, uh, there's no reason for you to duplicate those resources. So think about what you're already tracking and then what's missing. Is there anything that you do need to track? Maybe you already know that your department tracks personnel hours on certain projects. Uh, it took us 100 hours to complete a certain project, but maybe you don't keep track of your graduate student hours. Oh, graduate students, they're a good resource too. It might be foreshadowing for another episode. Foreshadowing. Love a good foreshadowing event. Uh, so think about what you could track in addition to things that are already being tracked. And then my favorite question is, how do you know what to track? If you're like, I want to tell the story of something, but how do I do that? Well, we're going to teach you here. Research administration, research development world, we track a lot of basic things. We track the number of proposals we work on. We track the number of documents we work on, uh, the number of proposals, the unique identifiers of proposals, when they were submitted, when they were awarded, the names of everybody, the PIs, the principal investigators, the co-eyes. Uh, there's also key personnel, senior personnel. Uh, we have lots of roles and titles on all of the different projects. Uh, usually a lot of larger colleges, universities will track all of that stuff already. What you might want to do is say your university tracks the 
exact date that a submission was uh, sent in, but maybe they don't track what quarter that's in. So at our team, when we were looking at the number of proposals or the number of awards that we have sent in or received, we look at the date, but we also look at it by quarter. We also look at it by semester because we do not get summers off here as research staff, that is for sure. The summer semesters are typically some of our busiest seasons. So uh, we did not realize that until we took those dates and classified them into semesters. And then we're like, oh, snap. No wonder we have busy summers. The summers is when we submit the largest amount of proposals some years. Yeah, we were we thought we were going to have the summer to get some in-house stuff done. <laughs> that did not happen. Not even close. We're running like six to ten a week. Yeah proposals at a time. We're busy. One other thing that your university or college might track is aggregate information. So we break things down on a proposal level. So we know that the School of Education submitted a grant on June 1st of 2023, for example. The university will also then roll that up for us so that we know not just the School of Education, how many proposals that they submitted, but we also know at the college level how many proposals we submitted. At the faculty PI level, we have some pretty Tableau dashboards. Insert data visualization platform du jour. Everybody loves a different data visualization tool, although this is a free Tableau pitch. Tableau is my favorite. They're... This is not sponsored, <laughs> by the way. But at Tableau, if you want to sponsor, I'll send you my email. Love a good Tableau dashboard. So the University of Cincinnati does create those dashboards for us. Thank you, Office of Research Data Team. We love you. Uh, so we can break down that data and information in any way that we want. So I do want to tell a little bit of a story here uh, and thinking about some other things that you could track. We know that our grant management systems, your offices of research, you track the basic things, right? We just talked about proposals, awards, faculty, staff, PI names, things like that. Uh, we learned a very hard lesson here in CECH uh, during the pandemic. I think it was like 2020. We as a grant team sat down and we were like, wow, we are swamped. What is going on? Because the number of proposals and the numbers of awards were not significantly larger than they were in the past, but we felt like we were just so much busier than we had been. So when we sat down and looked at what each person on our grant team was working on, we found out that we had increased the number of letters of intent or letters of interest that we were submitting. Uh, also through our data digging, we found out that none of our grant management systems or processes captured that information anywhere. So while we still submitted 10 proposals in the month of June, we did submit 10 proposals in the month of June, but we also submitted five additional letters of intent that most of them then did lead to full proposals later on in the year, but we had no way to track and quantify letters of intent, letters of interest. I'm also going to throw requests for information in this category as well. If you've been in research administration or research development for very long, you might have come across the federal government's uh, quite lengthy requests for information sometimes. I'm pretty sure I spent a good 40 hours of my own time back in 2021 uh, helping a research center create documents for a federal request for information that 
I think there was a convening of some kind, but there was no proposal, even RFP creation that came out of that request for information. So we were spending our time on additional materials, additional proposal documents, but it was not captured in any of the other metrics that the university was already tracking. Something else to think about is sponsor-specific information. Whew, I could have a whole podcast just dedicated to specific sponsors. Uh, maybe we'll do that. That's a good idea. Let's put that on the list, Krista. I think it might already be on the list. Past Claire was smart and put it on the list already. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we have started tracking, and again, this was probably <laughs> creative pandemic impact accelerator people uh, thinking through this is what are our award rates for certain sponsors? If there are, you know, we know National Science Foundation, National Institute of Health, they're pretty transparent on what their award rates are on any given year. They're anywhere from 20, 25, sometimes even 30 percent um, in terms of which proposals are awarded based on the total number of proposals that are they receive. Uh, so we were like, well, we're curious. We feel like we submit to the same sponsors over and over again. <clears throat> NSF, NIH, Department of Education, Spencer Foundation, you know. All those other acronyms I mentioned in the very first episode. <laughs> uh, and we were like, wow, we are just curious to see at our college level how are our award rates? And what we found is that our NSF award rates for, I think it was 2019, 2020, 2021, were actually above the av national average for NSF award rates. And so we were like, oh, we're doing something right there. On the other side, once we ran our award rates, we found some other <clears throat> shall remain nameless foundations. We're not great. We were not great at getting funding there. I think we were one for 65 or three for, I think we did get two new-ish awards. So I think we're what, three for 68 or something like that now. Um, so while it's not necessarily information that's going to make us completely change the way we operate, it does allow us to go into meetings with faculty and be able to advise them with numbers and data, which most faculty like we have seen. They like raw numbers and data. So it's more powerful for us to go in and say, okay, you want to go for five grants this year. Well, this grant for NSF is going to take the same amount of time as this Department of Education grant. And then you've also got a Spencer Foundation grant or an Arnold Ventures grant. They're all going to take the same amount of time, even though some are federal sponsors and some are private. And so I think it does help to prioritize and to think about where we want to put our energies. So if we have a 50% award rate with a funder versus a 2.5% award rate, one out of 68, I don't know what that percentage is, right? It allows us to give the faculty more information or research staff, right? They can make, they can use that information to help prioritize their time and energies. We also have seen a box, a column. Um, we've seen this metric on dashboards before that a lot of universities do track return without review uh, designations. I know our Office of Research here at the University of Cincinnati does that for us. Thank you so much, Office of Research, so we don't have to track that ourselves. Um, there are national standards and metrics for that, so you might want to check at your university or your college just to see what your specific return without review rate is and to see if you could make any headway there. Can you influence or help change that number in the direction that 
you want it to go. Ooh, here's my favorite thing. Other things to think about which funding lines are the most awarded. This is my favorite. Well, maybe not my favorite because we still don't have a resolution for it. Uh, we found a limit limitation in our grant management system. We can say, what's a federal sponsor that has a lot of lines? Uh, NSF. Oh, NSF, <laughs> National Science Foundation. So many directorates, and now there's funding lines outside directorates, and now there's multi-directorate then, yeah they do lines. like crossovers where you can apply to one but it also applies to another but sometimes you have to apply to a specific one in order for it to actually be in the other one there's 13 program officers listed and you have no idea who to contact yeah nsf we should talk later so we found out that in our awards in our grant management system when we submit a proposal or even if we're awarded a proposal from nsf we were not notating anywhere which directorate or which funding line, which pot of money, so to speak, that proposal was going to or that award was attributed to. So we had to go in at a college level and manually, I didn't, a student did, thank you, undergrad and graduate students of the Impact Accelerator, went through and had to manually assign which directorate, which bucket, which program officer, right, these different awards were coming from so that we could make better, more informed decisions in the pre-award process as we're putting proposals together. Other things to consider, how are your early career faculty or new to you faculty? I hate saying early career because a lot of times we get faculty that have been around for a little bit. Um, how are they faring? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they submitting the proposals that they're supposed to? I know a lot of um, Research One Carnegie designated institutions have seed funding available for faculty or pilot money, seed money, startup money, whatever you want to call it. Um, do they have to submit a certain number of proposals to get that money? Who's tracking that? Who's holding them accountable? Or who's calling them to make sure they're okay? Do you have what you need? Do you know who to call if you have a proposal you want to submit? Or, I love this one, always a co-I and never a PI. We have a lot of faculty, not a lot, a handful of faculty here uh, who are always co-Is, which I love. You want to be a sub-award? Cool. Continue to bring money in. But you're always a co-I, always a co-I. You're never the PI. And I'm like, hmm, reminds me of, Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. How can we change that? How can we help support this faculty or a research staff member so that they are the principal investigator, flipping the script, so to speak? How can we help them be the leaders in innovation? Oh, that was almost a perfect segue. I didn't plan that, too. What about our staff? We have a lot of awesome, innovative, creative research staff here in our college. They don't usually get the cred that we deserve. And I say we because I am now an NSF-funded researcher. Yay! But no one really thinks twice about staff pulling in research funds. Is your university tracking that? Ours does kind of. It's a whole other column, which I have issue with, but I can talk to the Office of Research about that later. <laughs> Do you have a lot of staff doing research? 
Or do you have people in staff positions who have PhDs or were faculty previously? We have several people here that have kind of bounced from research faculty to faculty to staff, back to faculty to consultant, right? Um, Are you guys, is anyone looking at that? Is anyone making note, uh, keeping track of what your staff, what wonderful creative things our staff are doing? Or students. Our students are brilliant. We've had several people here get national level presidential fellowships for research. And yeah, they might get a cool press release, but on a systemic level, or is anyone tracking that for your university or your college? What about postdocs? I love to talk about postdocs. Uh, the people who have graduated, they have a PhD, but they want to get that extra little level of training for a year or two. Are they bringing in research dollars? Are they PIs on things? Is anyone tracking that or even thinking about how to increase those numbers? Or do you care? Maybe you don't care. And that's totally cool. One of our biggest successes here in CCH has been collaborations. So I think when I came in, okay, I came in right before the pandemic. We didn't know. Okay, we were not prepared. But our collaborations were not that great. I think we had not even a 10% collaboration rate. And we're defining collaboration as working on a grant or a project with someone outside your unit. So if you're in a research center, are you collaborating with faculty in the school? Or if you're in the school of criminal justice, are you collaborating with someone in the school of education or the college of engineering or someone in the hard sciences, right? Getting out of your silos. We were not very good at that. Um, So one of the main things that the Impact Accelerator has tried to do over the years is to get people to talk to each other. Go meet people from other colleges. Go have a beer, a coffee, a croissant with someone from a unit that is not your own. And we have moved the needle there. I think we're up to, I want to say almost 20% last fiscal year of every grant that went in had some kind of collaboration outside their unit. I think within UC, we collaborate with almost every college. We've got 14 colleges here within UC, and we typically have proposals with almost all of them. Something else to consider, what about internal awards? UC, Office of Research, the Provost Office, we have a lot of internal money, research, training, implementation funds that are available for our faculty, staff, and students. Is anyone checking those? My guess is no. Uh, We also learned that the hard way. We had faculty, staff, and students that were applying for internal funding, and they didn't tell anybody. And so we're putting budget numbers down on paper, and the school directors or department heads had no idea what their faculty or staff or students were proposing. So we changed that process as well in the last couple of years so that everybody knows what budget information, what resources are being committed to in grant proposals. And then the other piece I wanted to just throw out there is training programs. There's been a lot of talk at research administration, research development conferences about training program metrics. So how do you know you spend all this time putting together a robust trainings and workshops and cohort series? How do you know that they're working? Are you tracking these research professionals over time? Uh, We have found that people that work with the Impact Accelerator, I say people, faculty, mostly faculty, uh, CCH faculty who work with the Impact Accelerator typically try to stay with us. They like the support. They don't leave the university. I will say with the exception of Dr. Jerome Graham, who left us during the pandemic, I miss you very much. I hope all is well in Michigan. 
I'm not holding that against you at all. I hope you're succeeding. <laughs> Call me if you're not. We'll talk. Are your faculty, are your research staff, are they, are your training programs working? Are your, is your audience really getting what they want and need out of your trainings? If not, make a change, make a move. Um, or if it is, scale it, replicate it. Keep those outcomes coming. All right, so we've talked about all these different things that you can track, but how do you know what exactly to track? We're going to, no pun intended, backtrack to something I said earlier, which was what story are you trying to tell? Are you trying to get a promotion? Are you trying to get funding for more GAs to help work with you? Yes. <laughs> Always more GAs. Um, are you trying to get more resources um, just to help your systems run a little more effectively? One thing you want to consider is trying to align the story you're trying to tell to the goals of your department, university, etc. Where are you now? Think about kind of the three-step process. Where have you been? Where are you now? And where are you going? And you want to try to determine and figure out the data that you want to use to tell your story to align with those goals and to make those goals kind of simple and make them make sense. Think about the feasibility of everything. Taking data to say, okay, this is where we are now. This is where we're going. Um, make sure that that data aligns to those future goals and where you're going. You've got really two basic buckets here. Um, so in terms of operations versus strategy. So for operations, that's like the basics. So what are your pain points? Are there uh, significant challenges or barriers or like timelines that are too long? How long does it take to submit a proposal from beginning to end? Who's responsible for that? Think about more like logistical type things. On the other side, you've got strategy, which is increasing numbers, decreasing numbers. So versus how long does it take me to submit a proposal? Think of it as I want to increase the number of proposals we're submitting, or I want to increase the number of multi-million dollar proposals that we're submitting. Think of innovation, timing, uh, and then how you're going to do that. So strategy is more like strategic planning, strategic thinking. How are we trying to attain those goals versus operations are more logistical in nature. So once you've figured out kind of what it is that you want to track and the story that you want to tell, biggest thing is you're going to have to compile all your data. Write it down. Write it down in multiple places. <laughs> um, don't just have a bunch of post-it notes. I love my post-it notes. Get off my post-it notes. I know, but you need online also, also just to back up. You mean so people can collaborate with me? Yeah. Collaborate and listen. <laughs> Um, so what? think about what information is already collected. Like Claire mentioned earlier, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't waste your time collecting data that you already have. Like It's, it's not going to be useful. And then once you've looked over this, what has already been collected? What do you have? What information do you need more of? Are there certain, like we mentioned, have you, do you want to track LOIs that have been submitted, but you don't have that data? And then what are your projections? What do you think you're going to be needing in the future? Once again, aligning with your goals. Write everything down. Make it simple and digestible, not only for yourself, but when you're going to actually compile all this and make it presentable for someone else, you want to make it so that they can easily understand what it is you're trying to tell them. That brings us to politics. Oof. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll take the politicking one. That one's all you. So when you're thinking about how to advocate for yourself, for your team, for others, or you're presenting some potentially hard-to-take information, patterns or themes or trends that you don't think people will necessarily be on board with, one of the first things we always do is talk to what we call an executive sponsor, someone who's much higher than my pay grade, uh, someone in a C-suite, an executive of some kind. And that, that, that position, that person might be different depending on what your situation is. At the university level, uh, we might think of like president, provost, president's cabinet, something like that. If you are in a department or school or even college, you might think of it as a school director, graduate director, um, assistant director of undergraduate students, something like that. At College levels, you have associate deans, deans, um, vice deans, insert catchy role name de jour, but people who are several pay grades or several job titles above you who are invested in what you're trying to do. These are not necessarily people in your reporting structure, so maybe not your boss, your boss's boss, right? Sometimes it's people who are on a task force or a committee with you who understand what you're trying to do and support the overall mission. Um, sometimes it is your boss's boss. That's always a good thing. Make your boss's boss happy. That's always a good thing. But you want someone else at, who has a higher title, higher credibility, more credibility, who's been there for a long time, someone, a veteran, role to be able to support you because they can advocate for you, for your project, for the pattern that you've noticed at tables that you're not invited to. Can also help you navigate systems that you might not even know exist. So I don't want to, I don't want to be involved with dean's council or provost or you know i'm gonna sit over here in my college and be fine but someone else a dean an associate dean a vice provost right those individuals can help advocate for you for your work for this change you're trying to make because they are already innately in places because of their title that you are not which does bring me to my last kind of disclaimer here asterisk asterisk please follow all agency company policies and processes I say that because you might not know that there's a policy for things. We have lots of policies here, you see. I have to Google them on our SharePoint site in order to know they exist. But always follow your agency or company processes. If you circumvent systems or circumvent people that are already built into a process, that's probably not going to make friends of anybody. And it might make what you're trying to do harder. So Talk to your boss or talk to someone in HR or accounts payable or accounting, right, to see or whatever department is applicable to what you're trying to do and see if there's already a process for questions, a process for change. Uh, in a former job, I there was a committee on a committee on a committee, subcommittee committee that I had to go through in order to try to advocate for change. And so it was fine once I knew that it existed, but I didn't, I didn't know that the subcommittee of the committee, 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 committee actually existed. So... But that's my also disclaimer, follow all the rules as much as you can. Even if you don't know they exist, follow them. Yeah, don't say that we advise you to do anything <laughs> and then get in trouble. It's not our fault. You hear that government relations? Or I guess that's legal. Sorry, not Mark and Karen. That's legal. We shouldn't put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> See, legal counsel, disclaimer. Allegedly and all of that, like <laughs> such as. It's a very criminal justice thing for you to say, Krista. Yep. It's like it's your major or something. It's almost like I've been in school for 12 years for it. <laughs> Only 12? Yeah. 
So now that we've gone over all of that in summary as we are ending the episode, a few takeaway points. First off, different data can be used to tell different stories. Something that we didn't do here that we usually do whenever we're presenting this at conferences is take a time to think about the story of Cinderella and try to tell Cinderella the story of Cinderella from the different viewpoints of all the different characters. Cinderella, the evil stepsisters, stepmother. The mice. The mice, the fairy godmother. Is it Prince Charming? What is his name in there? Yeah. Or is that Snow White? I don't know. Don't come at us, Disney. Sorry. I don't have legal trouble with Disney money, so. Let's just say the prince. The prince. Choose whichever version of Cinderella that you like. My personal favorite is Roger and Hammerstein's um, Cinderella with Brandy. Is that the toad? No, that's not the toes. No. That's the Grimm. Is that the Grimm version? Where they no. cut off the toes? No. Oh, yeah. If you want to do the Brothers Grimm version where they <laughs> cut off the toes, I like spooky stuff. <laughs> Choose that one. I like the Brandy version. It's the one I grew up on. It's a good version. But try and think about that story from all the different perspectives. And then once you've done that, think about how telling the story from those different perspectives perspectives tells a different story that's going to be the same thing with your data even though you might have all the same data the way you present it and the data that you collect is going to be different and will tell a different story and may be used to tell different stories for different people Um, second point think about the story you're trying to tell we've kind of talked about this multiple times all of the data that you collect and present is going to have to align with the story that you're trying to tell And lastly, make sure that you present your data in a simple and digestible way, not only so that it makes sense to you, even though it might make sense to you because you've been dealing with it for a long time, when you present it, it might not make sense to the person you're presenting to. So make sure that it's simple and digestible so that you can easily and effectively get your point across. So with that, thank you for listening to this episode on storytelling with numbers. This has been Claire and Krista for how to get funded without really trying. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you join us for our next episode where we'll be discussing careers in the research enterprise. Um, Before we go, we like to give a shout out to Joey, who is a graduate student here in the Impact Accelerator, who made all the music that you heard in this episode and all of our episodes. And finally, we want us to give a thank you to the Impact Accelerator for their continued support of this project, which I still don't know how that happened, but Claire said it was okay. Live your dream. Also, go fund yourself. Okay, bye. Bye.